And welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Zach. And I'm Adam. No, 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 no. I'm supposed to say I'm Zach and you're supposed to say I'm Zach. And then we're supposed to go, wait, we're not the same person. And Adam, can we take a like a personal second right here? Personal second taken. When when we when we do bits, mm-hmm. the the audience already hates the bits. <laughs> They're fun for us. We do have to like we we talked about BPRD and if Central Jersey is real for like twenty minutes before we started recording. <laughs> we could have taken five seconds, but like, and hey, what's our bit again? Because I think I I just think that's a note for you and me as we continue <laughs> this podcast that maybe we should plan out our bits more than literally on the fly without telling the other person. I think that might be why some people dislike the bits <laughs> because we're constantly improvising them and they don't make sense and we're not actually good or trained to improv. Yes, Adam, I think that might be the reason. Okay, okay, we good? Are we ready to get back to the show? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Adam. We're so glad you're here. Hey, Adam. Hey. I you remember. You remember. Uh, in this, by the way, Adam. Uh, back to our back to our little uh, side conversation. This is the bit that I did plan out in my head without telling you. So I'm just as guilty. Like I'm just telling you. Oh, now we're doing another bit. No, I'm just like I had already planned out doing this bit, and then <laughs> now we're coming back to it. So I have okay. to get into it. So let's go. So Adam, um, are you familiar with? Uh, marvel's mental organism designed only for killing i am the uh the eponymous modok yeah he's an abomination to all things uh i love him dearly mm. uh, if you want to know more thoughts about modok go watch jordan bloom's modok tv show huge <laughs> fan good. huge love, fan love love us some of that some of that modok and here's my question yeah yeah what do you think would happen if benjamin deeds uh the character <laughs> who doesn't want to be called morph but is morph from Brian Michael Bendis's X Men, were to get near a Modok, what do you think would happen? Because Modok's going to come and destroy Krakoa now, so <laughs> I'm curious if uh, if Benjamin Deeds will show up, and then you know, do you think he can control his powers over Modok? Do you think he's going to get himself a big head? I'm sure he'd get a big head. Yeah, yeah. No, he's definitely going to get like. I feel know, like Modok would be more comfortable around another big headed individual, as we saw on Hulu's Modok. Did we see that in Marvel's cinematic universes? Uh, Ant-Man 3 Quantumania? I can't pronounce the title of that movie that I will watch when it comes to Disney+. Plus. You know what's a fun thing that happens when you um, finally get to the end of that movie? And this is not a spoiler. This is just like how Quantumania is spelled. Is that the words ant and man are both in Quantumania. And they put the words quantum and mania over ant and man. And I went... Oh, that's clever. <laughs> so that's pretty smart. Rod. They did that with them letters. I thought you were going to give us a fun Modoc fact like I had. Like how beautiful <laughs> Modoc is and how he's my baby who I will protect for the rest of my life. Folks, uh, for those of you who have um, seen Ant-Man 3. Which does not include me. Uh, you know. It will not stop me from having strong opinions about this. 
you know that the the Modoc that is featured in Ant Man three is a visual effects nightmare uh, fuel that is done so poorly that it doesn't look like it would be out of um, place in like a Spy Kids movie. I mean, it really looks bad. And I would counter <laughs> having again. Having only never seen, seen it. Only seen this in motion with a Russian fan rip that I saw <laughs> slightly on the internet like 10 seconds of earlier today. How else are you going to do Modoc without looking like an abomination to all things good? Our colleague uh, Rob uh, Secundus and I were having a conversation about this after we both saw the movie. And we said oh, that you it, saw it with Rob? No, we did not see it together uh, as we do I not. thought that would be weird because you, you do live like... I know, not. I know Jersey's not that big, <laughs> but I do think there are several regular adult-sized shapes between where Rob lives and where you live. <laughs> I believe so. But we both agreed that it was like, um, it, it was the equivalent of like one of those old, you know, internet clips where like you put eyes and a mouth on an orange or a thumb and it talks, you know, like that that's kind of what it looks like. You're describing Modoc is the problem. I mean mm. like I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you, but the more you say it, the more I'm like that's my boy. That's you Modoc will, right there. You will see and uh for for uh Will I will I will I see the, or will I forget to watch this movie until after it comes out on Disney Plus and my I'm, son's like, "Oh, Ant-Man." I was like, "Okay, fine." Exactly. You you will see it on streaming and who knows, maybe they'll have uh touched up the absolutely awful sci-fi i hope level. they make it worse yeah i hope i hope they make it more unscrutable <laughs> that's what i would like for my modok again modok is a nightmare boy you know, I love him. jordan well, if you're listening and i think there's like a i'm gonna say a 70 percent chance that you are number one in my heart we love that modok um love really that wish, really wish i had gotten any a, of these comics yeah i really wish i had gotten a season two of modok and not Quantumania is Modoc, but um, oh, hey, fun fact, Adam. Oh, one, you did get like a season. That's true. We got the comic five. Uh, did you know that on Marvel Unlimited, uh, they did a Who Is Modoc Infinite Comic special yes. that Jordan Bloom does that it works as both a sequel to the Modoc TV show and Modoc Head Games. I do, yes, and I'm very in happy a, that Jordan got to do that in a freaking <laughs> movie tie-in Infinite comic. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Beautiful. None of that's related to Morph, Benjamin. No, no, because instead of M O D O C C M O D O K. Sometimes. uh, Oh, hold on. It was actually originally C because when uh, he was made, he was supposed to be a mental organism designed only for computing. He decided killing was more fun. Yes. Uh, We are talking about M O R P H. And it's funny. um, I've been dropping on uh, Instagram and Twitter lately preview images of things that we're going to be doing on our next episode. It being Tuesday, I dropped one such image online today and I got a couple responses from people who listened to the end of our last episode, thinking that we were going to do an all exiles episode this folks. Week. You don't want us to do an all exiles <laughs> episode again. We've done like three and every time we do one exiles fans are mad because <laughs> we don't, Love that book. So we are not talking about Exiles AOA more if we are talking about Benjamin Deeds. And folks, again, you've listened to this podcast called Battle of the Atom. Do you think that we have weirdly fond memories about this 2012 Brian Michael Bendis X-Men character? Because the answer is yes. 
We sure do. And uh, who do we have to thank for this wonderful request, Zach? Oh, we got Will Redman. You know we got Will Redman. Will Redman went on over to patreon.com slash comicsxf said, folks, I like it. I like it a lot. Ba-bum, bum, bum, bum. And then said, I'm going to reach deep down into my hearts and my pocketbook and uh, throw a couple of coins into your coffer so that you can keep everything going over there at ComicsXF. We have some great stuff going on on that particular website. Yeah. I wrote a screed against capitalism the other day. That was fantastic. The website's the website's just turning into my personal soapbox, and you know what? <laughs> I pay for the ding-dang hosting, so I can do what I want. It was a great editorial. Uh, we, also, we also have some other great stuff coming up uh, this week or last week. I don't know. We have, we have a thing about the secret history of Black Punk, uh, which is a new zine that I am happy about. So, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff on there. Go check it out. No one else is doing it like we're doing it. And by no one else is doing it like we're doing it, I mean, a lot of people are doing it similar to what we're doing it, but we're all just kind of vibing here, and that's cool. (laughs) Anyway, if you support that dumb project of ours and all the great people who work very hard on it, uh, we'll reward you by doing an episode based on one of your suggestions, just like Will Redman, who said, I want you to talk about that 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 issue of Uncanny X-Men all about Morph. Mm-hmm. which is uncanny x-men volume three number 14 written by brian michael bendis and uh drawn and colored by chris uh Bichalo with when inks chris by... is doing his own colors it's always better yes and inks by uh tim Towson. uh um, also jamie mendoza oh, alve mark herman <laughs> and victor wazala it's a it's a uh 2013 chris Bichalo comic you think he's not keeping several inkers employed at all times <laughs> yeah it's always an army uh with chris i let's start with the cover what a great cover this Truly is uh, a fantastic cover yeah. uh it's morph morphing into everybody at the school around him that he sees uh and then eventually cyclops pushing him aside and said no we got to do the actual story <laughs> great, it's a great cover Great cover, which, you know, is just like a nice page of comics. Um, So this issue starts with Cyclops really dropping some tough love on uh, the new kids and uh, making them crawl up a hill in the rain and um, ends up like really picking on Ben Deeds here. Okay. Yes. To be fair, Cyclops's like training when he was growing up involved flamethrowers and buzzsaws. So I feel like he's <laughs> in his mind, he's like, I'm not, I'm not even pushing these kids that hard. Do they even know? <laughs> and also Benjamin Deeds uh, probably does need a little bit of TLC from the uh, learning how to fight and defend yourself side. Like when gold balls is outpacing you, then you know that you need to uh, step <laughs> up your game. Okay. Love gold balls. You're my boy. Yeah. Uh, so the focus of this issue, uh, which I absolutely love is that Emma Frost takes it upon herself that she is going to do a little bit of training with Ben Deeds on her own. So not only do we get the first appearance of Emma Frost in her Punisher outfit, which I, I absolutely love. I love it. No one else loves it. And that's fine. All I'm, all I'm saying, all I'm saying is that if Emma wore that around Frank Castle, well, someone would stop whining about his dead wife so much. <laughs> Damn. Jesus. She's not real. Also, she's been dead since the 70s. <laughs> um, and fictional. 
And this issue is filled with like fantastic little touches and the way that Chris illustrates Ben's uh, powers. So while Ben is talking to Emma, he has just gotten out of the shower. He has nothing. Well, at first he's got nothing. Then he pulls the towel up. And as he's talking to Emma, I want to be so clear because (laughs) we cannot give the anti Emma people more ammunition than they already have with her pony blowing up and everything. Benjamin Deeds was a college student at the bad university up in Michigan. So he's 18. Like this is, shouldn't be doing that to your students, Emma. It's also not, he's not like a high school kid. Like, it's it's also not Emma's fault that he dropped his towel and he does pick it okay. up and then Adam, properly... Adam Emma, it's <laughs> Emma Frost. She knew what she was doing. She he also though very very subtly transforms into Emma as he's speaking to her behind the towel and sort of checking himself out. Um, he he gets force feminized. It's a very interesting depiction of his powers right here. Yeah, but it gets across the point of this is what morph does. It is not a mystique thing. It is. He is blending in with the people around him. Yes. He's definitely having this empathetic, uh, relationship with the people around him. And, uh, Emma says, Hey, pick a place you've always wanted to go. And where do they end up? Zach Atlantic city. That's right. Atlantic city in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, beautiful. I'm going to guess South Jersey. Yes. Yep. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't know that Jersey had a north and south until earlier today, and a central. Zach, I don't think that's a real place. <laughs> so um, we get down to the casinos, and Emma's just basically challenging Ben to to you know test out his powers. Hey, go try and pick up that girl using your powers. Go, uh, you know, try and. What, what else does she ask him to do? Uh, just just basically like whoever he runs into, Charm and he. Up. He slowly is refining his technique as he as he goes around imitating people like JDW. Yeah. You get you get a great Bendis dialogue moment where Emma's telling him, go seduce this girl. And he's like, I can't. She's like, Yes, you can. He's like, but I'm gay. And she's like, Why does that matter? <laughs> what what are you do you think do you think I'm trying to set you up for real? I'm trying to make you use your powers. Go go talk to that girl. It's great. Love it. Absolutely is. And uh, the the adventure culminates when Emma sends him unwittingly into... Unwittingly to him and the reader, which I like. Yes, uh, into a S.H.I.E.L.D. facility. So this is coming right after Battle of the Atom, which you may have heard about on this podcast once Mm. or twice, Mm -hmm. um, where Cyclops has found out, and everyone has found out that S.H.I.E.L.D. is making Sentinels again. uh, Or I guess... I don't know if this is the first time Shiona's been making Sentinels. It's the first time I can think of, but I... Who made the Sentinels when... No, that was one. O.N.E. made the Sentinels when War Machine Jim Rhodes, Tony Stark's best friend, was leading mm. an army of Sentinel people. Yeah. Not... We don't talk about that when we talk about War Machine, <laughs> how he led a genocide robot troop for a while. It's not great. He is named War Machine, let's be clear. He's not... That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh... Regardless, War Machine does not appear in this one. I don't remember. I don't think. No. Maybe, maybe Chris drew him in the background somewhere. Who's to say? Uh, but they get there, find out that it's a S.H.I.E.L.D. thing. Benjamin Deeds gives a letter to Dum Dum Dugan and essentially says, it's got someone's writing a letter that says, hey, I know you're building Sentinels. Don't do that. <laughs> Stop. Or you're going to go to war with, the, with, with me personally. Yeah. 
uh, that kid's been in trouble, and they teleport him away. And they're like, he got caught. And he's like, yeah, because Emma like did a did a joke on Shield, and they're like, okay, that's fair. Ben, you can be an X Men now. You need a name. What about Morph? And he's like, I hate it. And they're like, it's sticking. <laughs> I do like the the line at the end that Gold Balls is taken, so uh, he's got to stick with it. So Ben Ben Deeds becomes the new Morph, and I love this issue. I think that while Brian Michael Bendis's X Men gets criticism for incredibly fair things like the fact that the plot falls apart um mm. shortly after this or the fact that yeah mostly that the plot falls apart after yeah this, uh, pretty, and he pretty you know, substantially he rushes he, the ending of just about every one of his plots to move on to the next thing as he goes to brian brian's doing his stuff but i do think his one shots really really shine especially right here where we get like three or four good one shots in a row we mm-hmm. get we get three because we get uh this one we get the uh, inh issue and then we get the uh magneto lead up into bun yes uh magneto stuff so good it's a character focused issue on a character who's not had any focus really mm-hmm. he's the third character that Cyclops rescues in all new X-Men. He's not exactly a uh, all-star of that cast. No, no. He's almost an accidental addition to the team in a way. So um, definitely not battle ready, but now Emma has showcased what's so great about this character and how, how he could be utilized. So uh, Zach, it sounds like we like this issue. I think I we do should... like this issue. I think it's a pretty good one. Yeah, I do too. We should try and rank it on our big old list. Yeah, because here's the thing about our big old list. Uh, we are ranking all the X-Men stories from best to worst. And you know what, Adam? What? We're on the road again. Yes. We can't wait to get back out on the road again. <laughs> on the road to 800 with my friends. You know we are on the road again. We're on the road to 800, everybody. We have 747 stories already ranked from best to worst, with the best story being The House of X Files 10, with the 100th best story being X Factor 1 through 6 The Longest Night, 200th story being that Dracula issue of Uncanny X Men 159. I now notice that saying that Dracula issue is deeply confusing given the many, many <laughs> Dracula issues that do exist. It's true. Uh, where the X Men meet Marvel Comics Dracula. Uh, number 300 is the first three issues of Wolverine Volume 2, The Black Blade. Uh, 400 is The Hellfire Gambit from Uncanny X-Men 151 to 152. Number 500 is What If Legion Killed Magneto. Number 600 is The Trial of Juggernaut. Number 700 is X-Men 3436 Messiah <laughs> Complex, where, jeez, uh, Nate Gray wears the dumbest clothes in that. That's <laughs> that's where the pixie baby tee and the MC5 belt buckle come from. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, we've, we've talked at length about what Pixie's album Nate Gray listens to, and the answer is none of them. Never heard the Pixies in his life. He's not that cool. Not convinced. Yeah, uh, and then the Draco's at 747. Here's where I looked just to, just to get a spot on the list. Okay. 267 is Uncanny X-Men 15.inh Girls Not Out. The issue that comes right after this one, is this better or worse, Zach? I'm going to say better, and here's why. Hmm. This issue doesn't fall apart into a weird and human style in halfway through. Yep, yep, I agree. Also, I think... Full-length classic. I like 2013 Chris Bachelow better than I like 2013 Chris Anka. Hmm. Okay. Uh, but you're describing two very good things. Like I just, I think Anka gets better from here. So up at 
229, we have the Gold Balls issue uh, that comes along at number 35. And This is better than that Gold Balls issue. I think this Valerio is better than that as well. Yep. Um, now, Battle of the Atom is up at 195. I don't know if this is as good as that. Probably not. Um, I do think it's better than Generation X Underground Special at 201. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Probably better than that time that uh, Kitty Pride got brood pregnant in one forty in Wolverine and the X Men. Yep, I would agree. Um, I don't know if it's as good as Enemy of the State two. What do you think? Enemy of the State two has a, that weird middle section in Madripoor that doesn't go anywhere, hmm. but it does have that really good ending where uh, Laura drowns Kamara. Yeah, and it's like, yo, I'm Wolverine. Deal with it. And you know yeah. what? This is what Wolverine does. <laughs> I also don't know if this is as good as Uncanny X Men '97, where Cyclops and Havoc basically blow up JFK Airport. Um, yeah, did you know that Jamaica Bay's not in Jamaica? No one told me that as a kid. <laughs> I was so confused reading these. <laughs> so, is this our new 198? This can be 198. I think that's one. a great spot for it. So, Ben Deeds um, does appear in a couple other issues along the way as the rest of that volume concludes but then we don't see him again uh for a little bit yeah um that's the here's the thing um because he is a student of the x-men created after 1991 Mm -hmm. he does not get a huge amount of page time uh in fact even in the bendis run he's fifth maybe yeah yeah, I mean, triage got, doesn't get a lot of Eva, airtime either. Eva and Gold Balls obviously get the most. Yep. I think triage gets more. Though triage yeah. doesn't get a spotlight issue. Then Hijack kind of gets kicked off after a while, right? Hijack, get... Hijack has a weird thing in there. Hijack's also a weird older dude hanging out with them. Like, I think Hijack, <laughs> not to get into age discourse, Hijack's like older than Cyclops. <laughs> Is he really Hi- supposed to be that old? Hijack. I feel like Hijack's supposed to be like a guy in his early 30s. <laughs> He's like, what am I doing here with these kids? Why am basement? I hanging out with these actual children? <laughs> I don't know. Can I just say, I love those five characters. And I do, I know that, you know, Gold Balls is like so important to the five and everything. But I just. He goes by Egg now. Yes, I know. I know. But uh, I do love them. Anyway, so uh, the next writer to really pick up on benjamin's story is christina strain friend of the show christina strain you can go back to before the podcast came out that's true to the precursor podcast legion quest go look it up if you want to hear my uh opinions on legion season one with friend of the show matt sibley where we realized that the show was only like eight episodes long and we had a (laughs) weekly podcast and we're like what does that mean we didn't plan it out Mm. So we did get uh, then upcoming Generation X writer Christina Strain to uh, watch the Generation X movie with us and give us her opinions on it. And not that I'm jealous, but years before Jay and Miles did that exact same thing. Just saying, just saying. Again, friend of the show, Jay and Miles Stokes. We were there first. It's you know, it's okay to do something before somebody. Christina's great. Uh, And you have to take this into context, people. If you were not reading X Men comics in 2017. The idea that maybe there weren't going to be this stupid Inhumans thing going on anymore was such a blessing. 
you were just you were just happy, and then you realized that wait, no, you still want the stories to be good. Uh, <laughs> and so wait, then you they weren't. Here's here's my thoughts on the resurrection event as a whole. Are you ready for my hottest of takes? Let's go. Um, I think resurrection was mostly poorly done. I mean, mm-hmm. Weapon X was a fairly terrible series uh, from start to finish. Blue and gold, uh, while there was stuff in there I liked in each one of them, are some of the least memorable comics that have ever come out in the history. Cable Volume 3 uh, was an atrocity up until until Zack and Lonnie saved it with one last story with Herman Peralta. Uh, That's incredible. Uh, I actually, you know, we like the Dennis Hopeless Jean Grey series, Mm -hmm. but, you know, between, I think that's probably the most consistent book to come out of that. And then Generation X Volume 2, which... I love, and if someone said, I think that book's kind of bad, actually, I'd say, okay, I get you. Oh, I don't agree with that at all. Here's This here's book why. is not bad. It, I don't think it's bad. I think, because the first story we're going to talk about, I think we can deal with it a lot more here in these first two. Okay. Uh, Generation X 1 through 2. This is a book that takes too long to find its footing, and then by the time it finds its footing, it has to be canceled. And that's a, in my mind, that's a problem. Because these first two issues are introducing the students reintroducing the concept of the school and the the student body here is very it's a weird cast like legitimately when your cast is morph bling quentin choir iboy nature girl who i want to be clear do you know how many words nature girl has said out loud before this comic has come out like almost none zero she doesn't actually talk until I think issue three or four of this comic when Christina Strain makes a very astute point that says, hey, it's really weird that they introduced this Asian girl who's all shy and doesn't say a word of it, word of English, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I know I also didn't do that for a couple of <laughs> issues, but I wanted to address it head on and I had a lot of other stuff to deal with. So excuse me, uh, Jason Latour, don't do that anymore. Uh, it's them in Jubilee with Chamber as... I mean, Chambers, that's main character in this book, let's be clear. He's just not on the team. Yes. Um, Christina Strain writes great dialogue, great character beats. I love that part of her work. I think the fact that she has to write a superhero comic is something that doesn't sit the best with her sensibilities or the story she wants to tell. Like, the end of issue one where it's, oh, by the way, the purifiers are attacking is very much a, oh, yeah, I guess you have to have some action in here. <laughs> we need we need something to attack the school. It might as well we need, be some We need some violence. sort of cliffhanger, and the cliffhanger is a school shooting, which you know it's what? The Jean Grey school. It it does get attacked on a regular basis. I'm not you know? I'm not disagreeing with that by any means. I don't know if it's that's just, how I want to characterize this. It I mean it's it's guys in trench coats at a school event that open fire on people. Okay. It's a, it's it is a shooting that happens at a school during a school function. I don't know how else to categorize it. But I say all that to say, like, Christina Strain doesn't care about writing that part of the comic. And I don't care about reading it. Well, uh, you are absolutely right that this book is incredibly character driven. Um, and that is why it rules. Um, for, yes. for years, years. Uh, we have seen a variety of different writers try and do school-based versions of the X-Men. And no, most notably, I think Jason Aaron gave it his best shot with Wolverine and the X-Men. And periodically, he did a really nice job with that, depending on the arc. 
but there's a lot of other arcs that just, you know, don't necessarily nail what I think the original intent of that book was supposed to be. Yep. This book may be the best school-based version of X-Men that I think has ever been done. Um, I know there are huge uh, groups of people who are like shaking their hands, heads and wagging their uh, new X-Men um, Academy X kids. Oh, those people, those people can jump off a cliff. You know, uh, I was going to be like, Adam, <laughs> and I do need to bring this up. Adam, new mutants does exist. I understand that. And yes, new mutants is, is, uh, obviously the, the classic template, but you know, in the modern era, this is, this is excellent. Um, and you're absolutely right. Like the book does take a little bit of, uh, to get its footing, but already from the beginning, it's very clear that we are going to, this is a relationships book. It is. And the best parts of this book are relationships book. Unfortunately, I feel like editorial is not on the same page as the creative team and wants to keep giving notes to say, but there has to be superhero stuff. <laughs> and I don't actually think you need that, especially in this no. line at this time, because here's why. X-Men Gold is the most superhero stuff you can do. That was the pitch of the book. And, you know, they did a lot of superhero stuff. Blue was a lot of superhero stuff. Gene mm-hmm. Gray is a Marvel team-up book. Like, Iceman was, again, I- Cena Grace's Iceman is another book that I think of this exact same time that falls into this exact same trap of it, the character beats are great. When it has to be a superhero book, it kind of is less fun to read. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's the that is one of my big problems with this run that I have a very soft spot for. And I think it gets improved later, but especially these first two issues, I remember distinctly at the time thinking, I like this. I want to love it. And I don't know what's – and See, I couldn't for, put my finger on it. For time. me, I was hooked like from, from page one. And of course I am because who's our main POV in this story it's when it's not the kids? It's Jubilee. It's Jubilee. Um, you know, a huge part of the heart of this book is the evolution of Jubilee from, uh, you know, vampire mom trying to make it work, uh, raising Shogo with, I love, and I, God, I would wish that someone would bring this back. This relationship she has with chamber, um, is just so, so well-written. They're a good couple Love them as a couple. Um, and when I say that this is a book built on relationships, um, you know, immediately we are introduced to this quasi love triangle of Benjamin Deeds, Quentin Choir, and um, Hindsight. Um, Nathaniel, what's oh, what is his last name? Carver. Uh, Carver, thank you. Who's a new character, which again, I love that Strain introduced a new character in this book. Uh, having to introduce this character in these two issues and you know justify his position and all this stuff it adds to in my opinion a bit of the messiness of this of this title especially because with everyone in uniforms and him not having a visual mutation it can be hard to distinguish you know in crowd scenes stuff like who's this guy he's just he's a dude he's an asian guy with white hair to, to begin with i think that as the book progresses uh carver becomes really essential to the title. And we'll get into that yes. um, in, a, in a few minutes, but 
you know, for, for just talking about the first two issues, um, you, you mentioned like the, the idea of how the, the superhero stuff is kind of superfluous to everything. Really the focus of the first two issues is that somebody smudged Quentin Quire's Puma, uh, you know, his like $10,000 old man dress shoes. And he decided them Pumas. That's a type of shoe. My dude. What? Puma. It's a brand. No, no, no. That's a Chris rock reference. Smudge my Puma. Do you know know that comedy bit? No, I don't know that comedy bit. And looking at our melanin levels, neither of us can repeat any Chris rock bits on this, on this podcast. The (laughs) least surprising thing about me to people is like, Oh, Zach doesn't know this Chris rock comedy bit off the top of his head. No guys, that wasn't my influence growing up. Hate to tell you. So the Quinn choir destroys a classroom with his powers and is forced to put it back together and make nice with people. And the, uh, you know, the, another one of the underlying threads of this book is Quentin choirs healing of himself to allow himself to like have friends and actually be a social person. It picks up on a lot of the threads that I think Jason Aaron was starting to, you know, put together over the course of Wolverine, the X-Men, except immediately it's done with, a lot of heart, a lot of intelligence. Um, it's it's a reason why Christina Strain is succeeding so much right now as a showrunner, as a producer, because she knows how to do this kind of writing in a really intelligent way. I think I think that part works really well. This is probably the most believable distillation of Quentin Quire, absolute total terrible human who did try and cause a race war for a little bit, and Quentin Quire, just a guy. Who's yeah. like a kind of crappy teen. Like Jason Aaron, in my opinion, takes him way too far in the other direction too quick of look at this little snot nosed brat. <laughs> and I think Latour tries to give him some edge again and then does what everything in that run of X-Men does and fails. So I get why we're trying to do this with Quentin here. I unfortunately, I, I think it's a little jarring here, uh, but it works in the long term. I'm just thinking in terms of these two issues. Sure. So it's, it's just it's just messy in how much they have to cram into 40 pages here. Hmm. Um, one thing we have not talked about is the distinctive art style on this book, which is done by Amalcar Pinna. And um rules. I think it, it's awesome. It rules so much. Anyone who doesn't like this art, like again, I'd look at it and say, I get why you don't like it. You are wrong, though, if you think this is bad art. It's very stylized, very cool art. I mean, people describe it as it looks like Aeon Flux, which mm-hmm. is correct, actually. Sure. Yeah, it, it has stylized, a stylistic similarity to it. But um, one of the hallmarks of what Pinna does, and I, I think it's amazing, um, is his use of fisheye lens distortion in what it is that he's drawing. He's able to actually make that look natural and bend perspective, uh, make things warped and and turn in, in really intriguing and fun ways that I think are totally appropriate for the kind of book that this is. So it's visually striking in a really interesting way. And um, I was kind of surprised. I remember when this came out and people were having like negative reactions to the art. I never understood that, but I, um, well, Adam, you have to understand people have bad taste. Well, and people want everything to look the same, I guess. I don't get that at all. Like I, I would 
love for more artists to have distinctive styles. You know, I don't want more things to look like this. I want more things to look like themselves. Penis. Great. Go check out anything else. The dude's done. Yes. Fantastic. I'd love to see Malkar get uh, some opportunities to do some more stuff in the mainstream, but I do understand that he is not a, he does not have that same appeal. Such a good style though. I love it so much. Like, we we've talked about a couple of issues of this run before where they go do a like heist and the difference between Eric Coda's art there and a Malkar Pina's art here. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. It's night and day. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, we should probably rank this. Yeah. Um, so we have ranked the villain auction. At, That's uh, at three Oh eight. I definitely, think, I definitely think this is better than that. It is. Um, yeah. Do you think this is better than uh, at 250, we have World War X hmm. from Ultimates Comics X-Men? I would argue that this, these two issues are lower than World War X. Yeah, I, I, I think I would agree. Um, so at 264, we have the Negative Zone War from X-Men Gold. and Adam, at some point, we need to... We will we talk about that's one that I'm sitting there like, <laughs> how did that get there? Is it that good? I don't. Yeah. Um, is it better than okay, X-Men 15 dot INH girls night out? I'm not convinced. So, uh, you know, like two down from that is Phoenix resurrection. Like, I think we're probably higher than this. Uh, we're than- higher than the Wolverine and the X-Men hellfire saga where, 14-year-olds wear bondage gear. Yeah, but I don't think we're ahead of Trial of Jean Grey at 255. 260 is that issue of Excalibur where they turn into dinosaurs. This isn't as good as that. Okay. (laughs) Or they go to the dinosaur world. Which, by the way, Dinosaur Captain Britain did reappear in comics recently. Yes. Love that. Yes, he sure did. Um, Or she. She, excuse me. Um, I mean, I assume. It's it's a Betsy. It is a Betsy. Right. It's Betsy. Betsy Saurus Rex. I think that's Um, on the page. So... This is better than is this better than AOA X Factor? I think so. Or Factor X? Yeah, yeah okay. I, I, I think it is. Two sixty one Generation X one to two Resurrection. Also, Adam, I do need to clarify when I was saying which Resurrection series is actually good and which isn't. Mm-hmm. I forgot something. Which was there were Inhumans books at the time. So. <laughs> which I will just tell you, Al Ewing's Royals. Uh, gets hurt because Jean Boy Myers cannot actually do more than two issues of a comic book. Mm. In fact, does not even do two issues of a comic book. And I think it's a lesser Al Ewing series, even though a lot of the ideas, especially at the end, uh, are pretty cool. And that's why Ewing's resurrecting them for X Men Red. You know those. You know those weird not celestials that are around Orbis Solaris's lair and all that. Mm-hmm. They, they come. They come from that. So exciting. That's the that's the lowest ranked book. Actually, a secret book that people need to know about is the Matthew Rosenberg, uh, Javier Garon, uh, Secret Warriors, which kind of rules, actually. It's it's the time when they said, hey, maybe we should put Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur on a Black Ops team. Oh, yeah. Yep. It's funny, actually. It, it, know, it knows what it's doing, and that's great. Also, Magic joins that team at one point, so kind of an X-Men book. Here's hmm. the thing. Matty Rose loves X-Men. <laughs> You know what? You put Matty Rose on a, a 2017 uh, miniseries. It's probably pretty good. Uh, but the the best uh, the best resurrection series was Solid Animeds and uh, Christian Ward's Black Bolt. But like heads and shoulders. 
Okay. I'm not going to read it. Adam, I say this as a guy who doesn't particularly like Saladin Ahmed's work or particularly like the idea of the Inhumans. You should read that Black Bolt series. One, you would love it for the Christian Ward art. Mm. I don't know how you feel about Ward, but I think he has a really interesting style. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then two, it's good and easily the best thing Ahmed's done in comics. Cool. No, I didn't have any problem with the creative team. I just don't care about the Inhumans at all. You don't have to. Here's, here's, here's how I'll get you, Adam. Do you do you care about Crusher Creel, the Absorbing Man? Sure. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> there we go. Crusher Creel's a major character in this. In <laughs> uh, him and his relationship with Titania rules. Okay. All right. God bless Marvel Snap for now letting me explain the Absorbing Man absorbing me into my son at night <laughs> he started playing this game where he says before he goes to bed he's like dad is this character in good comics is this character in good comics <laughs> and it has made me have to like sit down and ask hmm has iron man been in good comics i think the answer is yes but the answer is less than you think yeah T- tonight he asked me if zero was in good comics <laughs> you know zero, zero. from x-force <laughs> yes my answer to him was, no, but he is in some great comics. And when you're older, I'll explain the difference. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Zero right. is not in this next comic. That no. We're so uh, we are Could talking be. about the last five issues of Generation X Volume 2. So we're going from 8 to 87 Seven. because they started doing legacy numbering for the last Le- Marvel Legacy. The last gasps of Axel Alonso trying to keep his job. Going back to legacy numbering for three issues before canceling a book. Yeah, uh, it's a weird look. Uh, what it's I was... a weird look. It is, it's really weirder when you have books like that did it like uh, the Jane Foster Thor book that oh, yeah. did legacy numbering, canceled, started as a new Thor series. Yep. Yep. Very strange. Very stupid that they did that, actually. <laughs> yeah. It, one, guys... I'm going to I'm going to upset all the old heads. Legacy numbering is dumb and stupid and I know it's like oh but it makes my collection all out of order. Y'all if you're old if you have a comic book collection you know what order it's supposed to be in. <laughs> like come on don't you we can, you can look at out. the trade dress and be like oh you know this one comes first. You it's, know. It's even easier now because we've got the internet. So uh It's just like we we all know. We can tell what a 70s comic is. Heck most of us especially with a big two thing we know what the Marvel trade dress looked like in 2016 versus 2014. We're able to figure that one out. It's true. It's true. What I will say about the legacy numbering for uh, this particular series is that I don't hate it. If only because the, the ongoing villain of this book is Monet uh, possessed by her brother Emplate. Which and, was a Cullen Bunn thing that uh-huh. Bunn, uh, when he had to leave, uh, uncanny when he i say had to leave but colin said on this podcast pretty much when i had to leave uncanny Mm. uh, it was a plot that he wasn't able to fully resolve uh so christina strain took it on herself to say well we gotta fix monet then yes and what when i say legacy numbering the other thing that this book also becomes as opposed to just being about the kids is it does become a legacy generation x book so the supporting cast of Jubilee, Chamber, Husk, uh, M-Plate as the villain, 
we are starting to get the surviving members of this team back together to now work with the new kids in basically healing Monet and, and getting her back to the status quo. I, all I'm saying if they wanted all the surviving members, where's my boy Mondo? Where's Gaia? That is, uh, we have not talked about Gaia on this podcast. <laughs> I'm not convinced we'll get around to it. Uh, so while all that is going on, we are also getting treated to what I think is one of the like best romances of uh, Marvel comics within the last like five, 10 years. And that is the, the Benjamin deeds, Nathaniel Carver relationship uh, that continues to grow and has all of the complexities of a teenage uh, relationship, but complicated by their powers until finally they figure it out and make it work. And it's so damn heartwarming. The fact that strain pulls this off in a, Thir- what 13 total issues 12 total issues incredible that she gets a relationship this good because here's what you got you got hindsight who he has rogue rogue downsides when he touches you he gets your memories right he doesn't want to touch people because uh it screwed up previous relationships christina strain said you know rogue and gambit that ruled let's do it again but what if gambit was a soft boy <laughs> so then you get benjamin deeds who's a soft boy Playing the gambit role. And he is, and there's this other factor of Quentin Quire, who is not textually queer in this series. And I think very explicitly what Strain is doing is saying, no, he's a straight guy, but there's still this weird tension between hindsight and morph about their friend who's kind of queer coded, but is straight and, you know, like close with all these people and they have feelings of concern and jealousy and how to how do all those weird intermixed feelings all play out like there's a lot to it i like Mm -hmm. their relationship in this it's fun and they get the satisfying win at the end yes it's great yes so that is great of course the other hugely memorable thing from the end of this series is that christina strain uh, takes advantage of the fact that uh, Jason Aaron was utilizing Quentin Quire as part of um, the Mighty Thor to remember that Quentin Quire has a Phoenix shard and uses it after uh, exiling himself onto a Krakoa island uh, all all by himself, which is also He's kind Krakoa, of Krakoa, the Krakoa he was friends with from the Jean Grey school. By yes, you. yes. Um <laughs> He returns Jubilee's powers and she's not a vampire anymore by some stroke of Phoenix magic hand waving. I'm trying to think if it was on our podcast or a different interview with Strain that I was listening to. I'm not 100% sure, but it's been long enough that I feel comfortable saying this anyway. You know why all that happened? I I believe it was on our show. Okay. Uh, Go back to our Christina Strain uh, Generation X wrap up episode back in the under 100s might be under 50s not sure where strain essentially said well jason aaron decided to use quentin choir in that thor story and no one told me uh, <laughs> right <laughs> until it was about to come out and i was like well i can't stop jason aaron from telling a story with this character that he brought back like he's jason aaron and at marvel comics and his story is the most beloved thing that marvel's putting out right now in general so gonna have to let him do that so she writes him out of this story specifically as like, man, you did that over like a long weekend, Quentin? 
which is great. Love that. And then says, oh, wait, I could, I don't want him to have the Phoenix Force there. I think that will be uh, bad, actually, because Christina Strange knows how writing works and knows you can't just throw a Phoenix at everything and solve it, Jason. Uh, and says, uh, what if she, what if we just use this to fix Vampire Jubilee? Yeah. Which yeah. is great. I know people like the concept of Vampire Jubilee. Some people do. Uh, I hate it and it's dumb. Well, I I think that it is a the the move to quote unquote fix uh, Jubilee to quote unquote fix Monet are all parts of the evolutions of these characters that we see throughout um, these twelve issues. So you're saying you know it's it's amazing how she pulled off in one year this uh, Nate Carver Ben Deeds relationship, but we should also give her credit. We get this amazing evolution of Jubilee and Chambers relationship. There's yep. a great evolution of Jubilee into this like self-sufficient mom um, who realizes what her powers are as both an educator and as, you know, a partner and a mom. Um, Husk gets a, a, a nice character development um, as she's developing into a therapist pursuing a PhD. Again, like, again. Maybe, maybe taking some of Jason Aaron's ideas and massaging them back into something good. Right. But the way they're written, you believe in them. Right. Yes. Well, like, there's, there's other things like I think of iBoy and Nature Girl. We didn't cover their one like right. cute spotlight issue. They have a great relationship. In fact, I think the only character who really gets a little short shrifted here is Bling. Mm. Uh, largely because, you know, Bling's story is how she doesn't really fit in with this team. And how she is taking the husk role of I want to take this seriously and be an X Man, uh, and you get some of that development with uh, her conversation with Husk, and I'd like to have seen more of that. Uh, unfortunately, the book just runs out of space. Well, you can you can tell that Strain is kind of playing a longer game with that character, right? That like right. you're going to see more evolution if the book continues. Unfortunately, because the book stops, we kind of get stuck with uh, Bl- Bling's just going to go home for a little bit. You know what I mean? And it, and yeah. she even says like, yeah, I'm just going home for like a week or something, but um, it's, it's, you're right. She does get a little short changed, but I can't help but love this book. You know, Adam, this is a book. This is a book that has a unspoken running subplot about Glob Herman throughout the entire series. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's a book that was speaking to me at a level Glob. Uh, one, we learned in the first two issues. It's my favorite part. Uh, that Glob Herman wears contacts and <laughs> needed to switch to glasses. <laughs> and he was, he was losing his contacts. So he was trying glasses on for a while. Great. Love that. Yep. We also get him dating Sprite. Mm-hmm. That's Jai Zheng, a character with zero development. Uh, but we get to see in background panels, the course of their relationship from uh, beginning to end where they break up. It's, <laughs> I think they make up a little bit at the end, but they, they decide not to continue. Again, it's all open to interpretation. Strain and Amal Carpina are doing so much in this book. Like, here's the thing. This, it starts hitting because Strain ties the superhero stuff, the Monet relationship, and Monet's connection to all the Generation X, you know, staff, Chamber, and Husk, and Jubilee, ties the superhero stuff to the character drama ties, you know, the, the tension between hindsight and morph to that whole thing. Like it all works together. And like kid Omega has to get through his issues so that he can solve 
this big problem at the end. Like it all really does work that way. Mm -hmm. I wanted the book to be like this from jump street. I get it. Strain was jumping into comics uh, from a narrative side at a, frankly, a bad time to be writing X-Men comics. And then, you know, just in a weird spot. I really like how this book turns out. There's a, yeah, it's, it's a really fun one. I wish we could have seen more. I'm glad Christina strain is, uh, doing a job where she can get health insurance <laughs> yeah i hope she's that, doing that's well better with that tv career um uh, she's doing shadow and bone now for people who know about that i don't because look it just doesn't sound like my beat but that's okay if you like okay. fantasy stuff i think you'd like it check out the magicians check out shadow and bone and um i i want to say that i think this is a top 200 book uh, on the list. I mean, I'm going to say, why not? What's yeah. 200 right now? Is it that, that I'm not as hot on the Dracula's as others are. Oh no, we're past that. We're at the start of the cross time caper. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause the morph is at 198. This is above morph. I liked this better. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I, okay. I, I think I found my zone, the mm -hmm. realm that I am looking at Adam. Yep. Yep. I don't think this is as good as Avengers vs. X-Men Consequences at 178, which is another character-heavy story. Yep. I would say this is better than X-Men Black Apocalypse, a story I really like. I would agree. So that puts it between 178 and 182. We're in like a good tight area. Yeah, there's some good stuff in here too. So we have at 179, we have Kitty's Fairy Tale. At 180, we have uh, Wanted Wolverine Dead or Alive, which is Uncanny 120 to 121. And then at 181, we have Uncanny 122, Cry for the Children. That's a um, Luke Cage one. Yeah. So Flophouse. I think this is better than Uncanny 122. I think this is better than 120, 121, but I don't particularly love Alpha Flight stuff. N yeah. No, I'm, I'm definitely in agreement with that. I guess my question is whether this is better than Kitty's Fairy Tale. I, I personally, I like this better. Even, but I, I also am in my brain going, well, Kitty's fairy tale is probably a little bit more classic. So what's what's your thought? My thought is I don't care. If you <laughs> think it's better, Adam, it's our list. Yep. Our list, our list has X-Men Gold in a position where it should not be. A thing <laughs> we agree. Adam, our list at 175 right now has the last will and testament of Charles Xavier. Do you think that's really 175, or do you think we were just like feeling it one day and then things got out of hand? I don't know. I do like that book. Uh, <laughs> I, I like parts of that book. I also can appreciate that that book is a deeply flawed narrative. I agree. It's um, only 179 now. It's Generation X Survival of the Fittest. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, current X writers would would love to see somebody bring, uh, you know, th this kind of relationship stuff back uh, into something. I don't know how it fits into Krakoa, but... It would be um, nice. Here's what you do, Adam. You go read uh, the Love Unlimited uh, series that Jungles did. Yep. Go read. Go read that, and then be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." They've got they've got those right feelings going right now. It really does feel like X Men Unlimited is getting the the chance to experiment and do some things uh, that X Men X Men well, Unlimited. Adam, do you know? Do you know? Do you know what the current story on X Men Unlimited is? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, I have I not had so a happy. I have not had a chance to read the uh, Marrow Feral um, Lonnie Nadler. It's not like it's Zach not Lonnie. It's it's Zach. Sorry, it's Zach Thompson and Philip Seavey. Though I believe I Lonnie Nadler and Jenna Cha will have announced something that they're doing 
by the time this episode goes up. So cool. if you're if you're like me, a fan of the Zach and the Lonnie, mm-hmm. uh, both together and separate, uh, you've got a lot lot of exciting stuff this week that yes. you're happy about. Yes, uh, but no, Marvel Unlimited is the place where they're doing a lot of that stuff, and mm-hmm. I think that makes sense. I think there's been some good and some bad on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, but that's because they're trying stuff. They are tr- they are absolutely trying things. Mm-hmm. And that is what I want. I want someone to just try. I want someone to be like, what if we did this weird arc about Maggot's relationships to his slugs? And I'm like, <laughs> yes, Alex Pachinadel. I would like that. Thank you. Yes. Um, uh, Adam, what do you got going on? Anything? Uh, no. Um, okay. follow Instagram slash Adam dot rec. Check it out. Um, and, uh, Zach, how about you? What are we doing next week? Uh, well, let's see. What do I got this week? Nothing much. Uh, if you see me at the embassy theater at the buddy guy farewell concert, well, it'll already happen by the time you hear this, but I'm <laughs> going to have a great time at that. I've been listening to some buddy guy this week and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I love Chicago blues. Nice. It's great. Um, the thing people don't know about me is uh, I could be listening to some blues right now and be very happy. <laughs> we could change right the, I got the blues. Let's change the theme music. Ew. What? No. You got to be like. X-Men. Yeah, see, you could you could turn you could easily turn the opening of the X Men animated series into a into a blues riff. I like that. All right, we'll... I'm going to screw out with that later. I'm not <laughs> recording it. I'm just now. I'm like, I want to see what that sounds like. You have till, um, uh, you have till the weekend to record that, so I, can I won't do it. Put it at the I end won't. of the app. Adam, I'm not signing myself up for work. This is <laughs> this is the fun thing I do with my friend Adam. This is not my other job. It does. I love our patrons like Will Redman. Uh, Thank you, Will. Pay. Y'all, you do not pay as much as my day job. It's just, <laughs> it's just the sheer math doesn't apply here. So you're not getting custom blues covers of the X-Men animated series. Uh, but what you are getting is our next episode where we talk about the earliest Chris Claremont stories that are eligible for this list. Yes. Excited about this one. Folks. I'm just, I'm going to spoil it right now. Do you think we're going to talk about a single dang X-Men comic? <laughs> You're out of your mind. And yes, we can justify all of it. And no, Chris Claremont did not write a lot of comics before he started doing X-Men. It's going to be a great time. But until then, folks, this has been Bally Adam. We hope you survived the experience. Thank you.